Today's scripture is reading is taken from Romans chapter 3, verses 27 to 31. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by his faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. May God help us to hear his word. Esther, thanks for reading God's word to us. Good morning again. We are in Romans chapter 3, verse 27 to 31, as Esther's just read for us. So I learned a new word recently. Uh, it's called humble brag. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm a bit behind, the, behind times. Right? This is, I think this word has been around for quite a few years now. I think it got introduced to the Oxford Dictionary several years ago. Uh, humble brag. What, what, what is a humble brag? So a humble brag is saying something about ourselves that sounds modest, but it's actually a boast. You know, I, I think we, 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 we humble brag all the time, right? I think if you're honest with ourselves, like, you know, we, we say things like, ah, my son is not so smart, you know, only got 99 out of 100 for his exam. You know, we say things like, you know, I'm, I'm really tired and busy with work, but I don't know, I guess that's the price of success. <laughs> no, not bad, right, that one? No, or doing a job interview, right? You know, when the interviewer asks you, so what's your weakness? Uh, well, you know, my weakness is uh, I'm just too focused on getting the job done. Yeah. I'm too focused on getting results. You know, or, or, you know sometimes in church, we, we kind of humble brag as well. You know, I'm, I'm so humble that so many people are thankful for how I serve them. <laughs> you know, of course, the, the Bible also has a, the classic example of the humble brag. I think you may, you may know this already. You know, the righteous man in Luke's Gospel, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Right? That's the Bible's example of the humble brag. So what can we learn about the humble brag? I think the lesson for us is that appearing humble is not the same as being truly humble, is it? You know, in humble brag, people try to appear humble, but they're not really humble, they're actually boasting. You know, the humble brag tells us that there is such a thing as false humility, you know, a false kind of modesty. And, and I think being, a lot of us are Asians, so being Asians, I think we understand what false modesty looks like, because I think we do it all the time. No, no I'm not that good, you know. Don't, don't choose me, you know, I'm, not, I'm really not that good. And then we expect the person to say, no, but actually you are. Right, so false modesty. No, but the truly humble person doesn't draw attention to his humility. Right? He doesn't make his humility a thing to boast about, as ironic as that might sound. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Right? It's not thinking less of ourselves, and that's kind of false modesty, but it's thinking of ourselves less. 
Now, we've been working our way through the gospel of, uh, sorry, through the book of Romans, and the church in Rome was in need of true humility. Made up, made up of Jews and Gentiles who were different from one another, they were drawing lines over things like race and culture, social status. You know, both sides, the Jews and Gentiles, both sides were proud of who they were. And their pride threatened to divide the church. So, so the Jews saw themselves as righteous, as better than the ignorant Gentiles who, who had no heritage of the law or other Jewish privileges like that. The, the Gentiles boasted of their freedom. Right? They were not encumbered by uh, any law-keeping, so, so they were free, they boasted about their freedom. And they, were, they boasted even of how they had, in some ways, taken the place of the Jews as the people of God. Right? So they're saying, yeah, you, you, guys, you, you Jews kind of lost your privileges and then we've taken your place. So good for us. So Gentiles were proud as well. So they needed a lot of humility in the church. Otherwise, the church faced the risk of dividing, of separating, of splitting. But the question is, what, what will really humble these people? You know, what will humble them? and keep them together as one. Now, we might well be wondering the same thing as well. You know, when, when we don't get along with one another, when, when there's conflict uh, between us, when, when we struggle with pride, when we struggle with self-centeredness, you know, what will truly humble us and unite us, bring us together as one? Now, the book of Romans is about the gospel. So far, we've heard about how this gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Now, who needs to be saved? I think we've seen from Romans chapter 1 to 3 that all of us do, right? because we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And then how can we be made right with God? As Sam preached uh, well from last, uh, fr last week from Romans 3, 21 to 26, uh, that passage says we, we can't save ourselves. We, we can't make ourselves right with God. But the good news, the, the gospel, is that God has done what we were unable to do for ourselves. Now, Jesus died on the cross to bear the judgment that we deserve for our sins if we trust in Him. And because of that, God turns away His wrath from us and instead God uh, comes to us with grace and, and mercy and He declares us righteous and He forgives us and brings us into His family. And the only way we can be right with God is through faith in this Saviour whom God has sent, Jesus Christ. And as Sam reminded us of last week, we, we don't depend on ourselves, but we depend on Christ alone to save us. Friends, this, this is the wonderful gospel that Romans talks about again and again. You know, but, but we should realize that knowing the gospel is one thing, but has this gospel really taken root in our hearts? Has it really taken root? You know, how, how are we applying the truths of this gospel in our lives so that it transforms how we live and we bear spiritual fruit? You know, the, the, the trees like us, right? Are we rooted? in the truths of the gospel so that the fruit of our lives is evident. 
right? We, we, we see the, the good fruit of the gospel. Paul writes Romans because he wants us to not just know the gospel intellectually, to kind of give intellectual assent and say, yes, I, I know this. But, but Paul wants us to internalize the gospel, the good news, so that it impacts how we live. In fact, compassion ministry is just one very practical application of living out the truth of the gospel because we, we can't not be compassionate if we have been saved by a compassionate God. The gospel is God's power to save. It is able not just to save us from hell, but it transforms our entire lives. The gospel is not just the doorway that we walk through to start our Christian lives. The gospel is the house itself that we live in. So what does it mean to, to live in the gospel house? What does it mean to live in this house that God has built? The house of the gospel. Here in our passage, Paul shows us how the, the gospel truly humbles us and then truly unites us. This is what it means to live in the gospel house, to be humble, to be one with one another. So let's begin by looking at how the gospel truly humbles us in verses 27 and 28. And if you notice in verse 27, it begins with the word then, right? Then, what becomes of our boasting? Now, the word then is, is a really important little word because it connects verses 27 to 31 to verses 21 to 26, right? In verses 21 to 26, Paul has just explained the gospel. So now, then in verses 27 and 31, he's saying, okay, if, if you believe this gospel that I've just explained in verses 21, in 20, 21 to 26, then this is how you should live. Then this is how you should understand who you are and what your life should look like. Then, verse 27, this is what it means to live in the gospel house. So the, the, the flow of thought goes like this, right? In verses 21 to 26, Paul says, we are justified by God's grace as a gift. Then, we cannot boast about ourselves. Right? This is how the gospel deals with a common human problem that I think all of us struggle with, the problem of pride. You know, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who admit that they struggle with pride and the rest of them are lying. Augustine called pride the beginning of sin. Now, pride is often the root cause of our sins. And we can trace the source of our sinful words, of our sinful actions, back to our pride. And the problem of pride goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve wanted so much to be like God, you know, that, that, that prideful desire to want to be like God, that they were willing to disobey Him to get whatever they wanted. You know, sometimes pride is obvious, you know, for example, uh, there, there are obviously some, some folks who are you know, show-offs, who brag about themselves. You know, those, those are, you know, we say, yeah, those are clearly proud, right? So, so pride can be obvious sometimes. But, I, but I, I don't think a lot of us are like that. But, but rather, for most of us, pride is a lot more subtle in our lives. The, the pride in our lives isn't always so obvious. 
Now, pride can show itself in many subtle ways in our lives. So, so, so think with me for a moment as, as we kind of reflect on some of these examples of what pride could look like in our lives and see if we can see ourselves in any of these examples. So we may be proud if we see ourselves as basically good people. So we may be proud if we are critical and judgmental of others. Why? Because they fall short of our standards. So we may be proud if we get impatient with others because they don't do what we want when we want it. Right? So, so if you're driving, you get easily impatient. Why? Because you feel that other people are just getting in your way. Right? And that could be a sign of pride. We may be proud if we have a need to be right all the time. And we may be proud if we want recognition from others. Like we want others to see that we are doing well. So we may be proud if we, are, if we feel entitled to certain things. And, and we get upset if we don't get these things. So entitled to comfort, entitled to success, entitled to respect, etc., etc. And we get upset because we feel that we're not getting what we deserve. We, we may be proud if we're trusting in our own strength, in our own competence, in our own accomplishments, in our own wisdom and life experience to see us through life. Right? We're, just, we're just depending on ourselves to make sense of life, uh, to do well in life. You know, we, we may be, now this is a subtle one, we may be proud if we are fearful and anxious. Right? Why, 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 do, why do I say that? You know, fear and anxiety sometimes is a sign of pride. Because why, why are we fearful? Why are we anxious? It's because we feel that we are not in control. We, we, we fear losing control. We fear that I, I can't manage my own life. So we get fearful and anxious. But, 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 but why? Because we're proud of our ability to manage our own life. And when that self-confidence is shaken, we feel afraid. We feel anxious. So strangely enough, fear and anxiety could be a sign of pride in our lives. You know, we may be proud if we lack mercy, if we lack compassion. You know, we, we may be proud because we, we don't see why others can't sort out their own lives. Right? I, I've, I've done well for myself, why can't you sort out your own life? Right? So, so we lack mercy and compassion to those who are struggling, to those who are weak. You know, we may be proud if we get defensive when others point out our flaws. You know, this is something that I really struggle with. Right? Sometimes, sometimes Claire says things to myself and, and I, I get all defensive even though she means well. Right? But why, why do I respond that, in that way to her when she says positive things to help me? Because I'm proud. I don't want to be seen to be uh, less than perfect in her eyes. So I get defensive. You know, we, we may be proud if we refuse to make the first move and mend a broken relationship. Right? Because we insist, hey, it's not my fault. So that person should make the first move. Right? So that could be a sign of pride in our lives. Now, this is a common one, especially among uh, Asian males. 
we may be proud if we don't like asking for help. Right? When, you know, I, I know this all the time when, when I get lost. Uh, I, I refuse to ask someone for directions. Yeah, I just don't want to ask someone for directions. I'll, I'll look at a map, I'll, I'll try to figure out something, and, and class says, why don't you just ask someone? It's like, no, I, I can figure this out. Right? I can find my own way. So we may be proud if we don't like asking for help because we don't want to have to depend on other people. That, that, this is a common one, friends. Like we, we keep our struggles to ourselves. Why? Because you know, we, we kind of say things like, oh, I don't want to inconvenience others. I can sort this out myself. That, friends, could be a sign of pride in our lives. You know, Paul himself struggled with pride. Now, before he became a Christian, Paul trusted in his religion to earn him a right standing with God. So Paul boasted about things like circumcision. He, he boasted about being a pure Hebrew-speaking Jew. Paul boasted about how he was a righteous Pharisee who zealously persecuted what he thought were enemies of the religion, persecuted the church. So Paul boasted about all these things. Friends, what, what do we boast about? Our pride reveals what we really trust in, what, what our lives really depend on. Right? Because we, we boast about what gives us a sense of confidence, we, we boast about what gives us security, we, we boast about what gives us a sense of fulfilment, what gives us meaning, what gives us self-worth. Right? We, we boast about these things. So that's why we boast about things like wealth. We, we boast about things like success. We boast about our accomplishments. We, we boast about ourselves, our competence, our cleverness. We boast about our health. We boast about our fitness. We boast about our looks. We boast about our children because we think that they fulfill us in some ways. We, we boast about our spiritual attainments even because we feel like we, they, they make us better than others. Friends, we, we boast about all these things. Why? Because we, we're trusting in all these things to give us security, to give us confidence, to give us a sense of fulfillment and self-worth. So we boast about all these things. So ultimately, when we think about pride, ultimately pride is self-centered. It, it focuses on me. It, it focuses on what I can do. That's pride. Now, you may know the, the, the poem by William Ernest Henley. It's called Invictus. You know, that, that, that poem has this line at the end that we may know. You know it, William Ernest Henley, he wrote Invictus, and in, the, in this poem he says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You know, stirring words, right? But actually, horrible, horrible words. Those are the words that epitomize human pride. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Friends, are we thinking that in our hearts? Are we thinking that in our hearts? Or if you want the more popular version of that, you listen to Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. <laughs> right, I think Spanx and Astro said it in a much more eloquent way. <laughs> I did it my way. But in the light of the gospel, you know, in, in the light of the gospel, what becomes of our boasting? 
what becomes of our pride? Paul says it is excluded. It's excluded. Why? Because the gospel says it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's about Jesus. It's about what He has done for helpless sinners like me. So Paul says it's not by a law of works, but by the law of faith. You know, our, our fallen hearts love the law of works because in our fallen hearts, we want to be able to do something for ourselves. We want to at least take some credit for our own salvation. Our fallen hearts want to be able to boast in ourselves, to say, look God, hey, We want to boast in our good works, our competence, our religiosity, our morality, our wisdom, our culture. You know, our fallen hearts love the law of works. The law of works says, do if you want to be saved. But the law of faith says, done. Done. By Jesus. True saving faith looks away from ourselves and looks only to Jesus Christ, the only Saviour for sinners. So to have faith means to depend on Christ completely. That's, that's what it means to have faith. You know, it's like sitting down in a chair, right? You know that uh, popular illustration? Faith is like sitting down in a chair. You, you either sit down in a chair or you don't. You, you either rest all your weight on the chair, you know, in the chair that you're sitting on right now, you either rest all your weight on it or you don't, right? You know, you, you try sitting down halfway, you know, you try that now, you try sitting down halfway, kind of lift your bum slightly, just touch the chair, you know, it, it's really uncomfortable, right? I mean, it, it's just not sustainable. You, you can't sit down halfway. You either sit down or you stand. Same thing with faith. You either trust in Christ completely, which is the very definition of faith, to trust only in Christ, so that's faith, or you don't. You either trust in Christ or you trust in the law of works. Faith, by definition, cannot be self-centered. Faith, by definition, excludes focus on self because faith means to trust in someone apart from ourselves. This is how the gospel truly humbles us. And so when we say yes to the gospel, we are saying no to self-help. When we say yes to the gospel, we're saying no to self-sufficiency. We agree with what Paul says in verse 28. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You know, we cannot trust in Jesus and still boast about ourselves. Right? Imagine a man who's drowning. You know, a man who's drowning will not boast about himself. What does he do? A man who's drowning will ask, will, will scream for help. He's not going to drown and, and meanwhile say, oh, I trust in myself. You know, I'm, I'm actually fine. Don't, don't, don't come, I'm okay. No, a man who's drowning will look outside of himself for help. He has no pride in the moment. He has, he has complete humility because he knows that he needs, he desperately needs help. So friends, if, if, if we are proud, I, I wonder if 
when in our pride, do we actually know how helpless we are without Jesus? Because pride, pride communicates the fact that we, we think that we, we are still okay, that I can still do something for myself. What, what's an oxymoron? You know, have you heard of the term oxymoron? An oxymoron is when two words are used together that have or seem to have opposite meanings, right? So oxymoron. So, so words like, oh, that's pretty awful. You know, that, that's oxymoron. Words like uh, a cruel kindness, you know, that, that's an oxymoron. So it's kind of seemingly contradictory words that are used together. Here, here's an oxymoron for us to think about. Proud Christian. Proud Christian. So that should be an oxymoron. Proud Christian. Proud follower of Jesus. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It's like getting a gift from someone and saying, wow, I earned this, man. I really earned this gift. No, but but the, the giver wouldn't be very pleased. Like, no, you didn't earn it. I gave it to you. It's a gift. You didn't pay for it. It's completely a gift. So pride, friends, is a sign that we've drifted away from the truth of the gospel because pride shows that we're trusting in something else rather than trusting in Christ alone. Friends, don't, don't let pride keep us from trusting in Jesus trying to fix our own mess because we're too proud to ask for help will only make things worse. Because if we trust in ourselves, friend, we will ultimately let ourselves down. We'll ultimately disappoint ourselves. Pride ultimately leads to fear and anxiety. So what we need is is not more self-confidence. What we need is more Christ confidence. And we need Jesus to be our hope, our security, and our assurance. Pride makes it all about us. The gospel makes it all about Christ. And what the gospel does is that the gospel, actually the gospel doesn't stop us from boasting, but the gospel transfers our boasting away from ourselves, and the gospel transfers our boasting onto Christ. So we still boast, but we don't boast about ourselves. True humility is thinking of ourselves less because we are too busy making much of Christ. Now, we, we can't make much of Christ if we are trying to make much of ourselves. You know, th- those two things are mutually exclusive. So as we think of ourselves less, you know, we, we are in a better place to make more of Jesus. And that, friends, is, is true humility. So we can be honest about our own weaknesses. We can be honest about our own failings. Because why? We, we, we trust in Jesus and His strength. He must increase. We must decrease. We boast about Jesus because He becomes our glory. He becomes our hope. He becomes our security, our joy, our assurance, our confidence, our competence, our sufficiency, they are found all in Christ 
alone. And we boast about Him. We boast in Him. As Paul says in Galatians 6, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read earlier in the service from Jeremiah 9, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. Friends, what, what would it look like to re, for us to relate to one another with the humility of Christ? You know, what would happen if we boasted more in Jesus? What, what would our community look like if we boasted about Jesus more and more? I, I believe that if we boast, the more we boast in Jesus, the less self-centered we become. Christ-like humility will transform our church community. It will move us to love one another with patience and grace. Christ-like humility will help us to lay aside our rights, to lay aside our opinions, to lay aside our preferences, and instead we'll serve rather than expecting to be served. We'll gather on Sundays and instead of focusing on what I don't like, I'll focus on how I can serve and encourage others. It's Christ-like humility. The humility of Christ will help us to make a name for Christ rather than seeking a name for ourselves. It will, it will soften our hearts towards one another. It will enable us to forgive. It will enable us to be reconciled to one another. When we have the humility of Christ, we will be slower to speak slower to make known what our opinions and preferences are. We'll be quicker to ask questions of one another. Hey, how are you doing? We'll come prepared to find out about one another because we, we want to serve one another. We'll be approaching one another after service perhaps or during the week, saying, hey, how, how are you? How can I pray for you? you know, are, are there things that you want to share that, that will be helpful for me to know so I can better love and serve you? So Christ-like humility will make us ask questions. Not just say things, but to ask questions and to be quick to listen so that we can know one another and better serve one another. Friends, Christ-like humility will, will change how we live as the people of God. So you can see why this brings us to our next point right, on unity. Because unity is impossible without humility. We, we, can't have true humi we can't have true unity if we are proud people. So the gospel that humbles us is also able to truly unite us. You know, in verse 30, Paul states a truth about God that the Jews would be familiar with. He, you know, he says in verse 30, God is one. God is one. Now, why does Paul suddenly mention this in the text? Why does he suddenly talk about God's unity, God is one? You know, this truth, God is one, is mentioned in uh, Israel's confession of faith, right? Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it's something that the Jews would be familiar with. God is not divided, right? He's one. He's a perfect unity, one person. 
uh, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Right? He, he's not a divided God. The, the three persons exist in perfect harmony and unity. God is one. So what does the truth about God is one have to do with the unity of God's people? You know, why does Paul suddenly mention God is one in verse 30? So this is Paul's reasoning. Because God is one, there can only be one God over all the nations of the world. And because there's only one God, there can only be one people of God. Right? To have more than one people of God is to imply that there's more than one God. But because God is one, there is one people of God, and the people of God must be one. So, so that's how this attribute of God, that He's one, is related to our unity as the people of God. You know, the unity of God's people is, is supposed to reflect the oneness of God. And, and this is why God cares so much about the unity of His people. Be because our unity as God's people is meant to say something about who God is and what He's like. So, my, what, what does this mean for me? It means my, if I have a broken relationship with my brother and sister, that broken relationship with my brother and sister is not a private matter. It's not simply between me and that brother or sister. That broken relationship matters to God because the unity of His people and the glory of His name is at stake. So our broken relationships are not private matters. They matter to God. He cares deeply about the unity of His people. And that's why racism, discrimination, and prejudice are so offensive to God. Any, any racism, anything that we, we, we think to discriminate between people, any prejudice that we have in our hearts towards someone for no good reason, I mean, all these things are deeply, deeply offensive to God. Why? Because we, we are making prideful distinctions between people that God Himself doesn't make. God doesn't make those distinctions that we make. So before a perfectly holy God, there is no distinction. We are all sinners. As, as Paul has said in earlier part of chapter 3, there's no distinction. We have all fallen short of God's glory. Friends, you know, look, look around the room. If, if we really understood this truth that there's no distinction, we realize that, friends, that we are really not that different from one another. You know, look around the room. We are really not that different from one another. That the lines that we often draw, the lines that divide us, really don't exist. You know, they, they really don't matter to God. Why? Because there's only one way for us to become God's people, regardless of who we are, where we've been, where we've come from, only God can make us right with Him. Verse 30, God will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. You know, the key word there is faith. Whether you are a circumcised Jew, whether you are an uncircumcised Gentile, 
whether you grew up in a Christian home, whether you've come from a, a, a broken home, a messy home, whether, whether you've been a good moral person or whether you've lived your life in immorality, it doesn't matter. We all come to God by faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no distinction. There's no distinction. We're all saved by Christ alone. Friends, you know, recently in the news, they've been talking a lot about streaming. You know, secondary school streaming, you know, the government has recently announced that they've, they're going to do away with streaming, I think, in 2024. So that affects my son, Ian. <laughs> I think he's part of that batch. No streaming. I wish they'd scrap the PSLE, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> so, you know, why, what, what's the big deal about streaming, right? You know, the, the, we have normal, we have express, and it's meant to reflect just different abilities so that students uh, uh, can be better served as, as they come in at different levels. But, but one of the unintended co- results of streaming is what? Labeling. You know, there's an opinion piece in the Straits Times recently saying, yeah, you can do away with the structure of streaming, but what's, what really needs to change is the labels that people give one another. Right? Why, why do people give labels to one another? Because if, if I know that I'm academically better than you, if I know that I, I've come in to this school on, on a higher level of attainment than you, then I'll say nasty things about you. Right? I'll label you. I'll label you like, you know, you're not so smart, you're not so good at this, you're slow, you're kind of less, less successful. Right? Why do people give labels to one another? It's because they, they're making distinctions among one another based on performance. Right? They're like better students, not so good students, express students, normal students. So, so streaming has the unintended consequences of, of making us give labels to one another. Friends, if, if, we, if we come into something based on performance, we, we will tend to give labels to one another. If we, if we think about church as I come into the church based on how well I perform, then within the church, we'll be giving labels to one another as well. Oh, that person's a good Christian because, wow, serve in, a, serve in a lot of areas must be good Christian. The other one, not so active, can't be good. Lah, right? So we give labels, right, to one another. We kind of view one another based on how well we think each other is performing in the Christian life. We make distinctions. And, and those distinctions, friends, they, they begin to divide us. They, they begin to separate us from one another. So, so we really need to understand the truth of this passage, that God is one. And He justifies everyone on exactly the same basis. It's by faith alone. You know, there's no two-tier membership in the kingdom of God. There's no first and second class citizens in the kingdom of God. There's no good Christian and not so good Christian, right? Because we are all equal in Christ. That the gospel unites us because we all enter God's kingdom on exactly the same basis. We have the same spiritual standing before the same God and the same access to God. In Christ, we are all one because we are all 
equal. Friends, this, this is the amazing, profound, counter-cultural, otherworldly news of the gospel. That's why Paul can say in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave, slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The, the, this gospel is the glue that truly holds us together. So as, as we think about our church, none of us should feel inferior, none of us should feel superior to anyone else in the body of Christ. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, I, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And again in Romans 12, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So I shouldn't feel like an outsider just because I'm not like the other, that other person. And I, and I shouldn't feel, and I shouldn't look down on someone else just because he or she is not like me. Christ has made us right with God and He has also made us one. And because of Jesus, we can put aside our differences. So think, think with me for a moment. What perceived differences hinder us from building deeper relationships with one another? What are the things that prevent us from reaching out to someone else? Is it age? Is it culture? Nationality? Race? Social economic status? Background? Family background? Education? Friends, what, what are these perceived differences that we have in our minds, the prejudices that we entertain in our hearts that keep us from really getting to know one another better and building relationships with one another? Friends, the, the good news is that Christ has already removed all these barriers. So the call to us is not to try to remove these barriers ourselves, but the call to us is to know that Christ has removed all these barriers and we are able to move towards one another with the confidence that Christ has already brought us together as one people. The gospel has created a new community founded on the grace and love of Jesus Christ and His love compels us to love one another. And God wants us now to build relationships with one another that cut across any worldly lines of separation. Because in Christ, these lines don't matter anymore. And because the gospel humbles and unites us, we can be long-suffering, we can be merciful, we can be compassionate towards one another. Our church family can be a safe place for redeemed sinners to be vulnerable and to share our struggles with one another without worrying about the glare of self-righteous judgmentalism. We can bear one another's burdens. Why? Because we humbly recognize that we need help. Right? I, I won't bear someone else, else's burdens if, I, if I'm not compassionate or humble. I, I'll think that they can get their own life in order. But if I'm humble, then I know my need for help. And I know that they need help too. Friends, this gospel doesn't oppose God's law, but, but this gospel upholds the law. Right? Verse 31. How does it uphold the law? Because this gospel enables us to love. To love humbly. To, to love as one people of God. And friends, we know that love 
is the fulfillment of the law. So far from opposing the law, this gospel fulfills the law because we love. We love God and we love one another. Friends, what what do we have that we did not receive from Jesus? He is our salvation. So if we must boast, let's boast in Christ alone. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you so much for how you have been merciful and compassionate toward us. Father, as we come to you, we acknowledge that we are nothing. That we we come not with a sense of entitlement. We, We don't come with feeling that, oh, we deserve to be here. But Father, we come with humble and contrite hearts. We come with broken hearts, knowing that apart from your grace, apart from your Son, we are helpless. So Father, as we come to you now in the quietness of our hearts, we pray that your Spirit would speak powerfully your Word to us. Father, we pray that your Spirit would shine the light of your Word into our lives. Father, are there dark places in our lives where we boast about ourselves? Are there things in our lives that we boast about? Are we proud? Father, we pray that the convicting power of your Spirit would reveal these dark places in our lives, that the light of your Gospel would pour in and, 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 and truly illuminate all these places so that we would turn away from ourselves and turn to you. Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us now to even respond to you with open hearts, to respond to you with humility, knowing that Christ is our Saviour. Draw us to yourself, we pray. Help us to truly depend on Jesus to know Him as our Lord, to boast only in Him. Father, we pray this in His name and for His glory. Amen.